Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson is The Pruning Process. The Pruning Process. Brothers and sisters, if you have studied the Bible, the hermeneutical understanding of the Bible, you'll find many agricultural metaphors, brothers and sisters. Why? Because our God, not only our God, but our people were people of agriculture. So there's a lot of principles written of in the Bible um, that are applicable not only to just agriculture, but life about being fruitful, brothers and sisters. So today we'll talk about learning to be fruitful, brothers and sisters. There's a myriad of principles that Christ spoke of. The Most High had the prophet speak of that will be beneficial to your life, brothers and sisters. The title today, The Pruning Process. Let's go to John, the 15th chapter. We'll have Brother Corey read the first through the fifth verse. Please follow us. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. What did he say, brother? Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. So look at this, brothers and sisters. He uses the relationship of branches to a vine to illustrate his or our, our relationship to him. See that? So here it is. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Look at that, brothers and sisters. He isolates the branches into two groups, those bearing fruit and those not. Take a look at it, brothers and sisters. Verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So look at this, brothers and sisters. Look at this closely. Okay, because here he's talking about branches. He's talking about fruit. So he's telling you that what he prunes, he says he purchased it, that it may bring forth more fruit, which means, brothers and sisters, when you're dealing with agriculture, if any person who's had a garden or anything like that, if you cut back the fruit, if you prune it, what what happens? Can you read that again, brother? Verse two, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So look at that. You're either going to learn from my instruction or learn through circumstance. Brothers and sisters, the first thing he does is give instruction. And if you don't, if you don't, you know, uh, capitulate to, to the instruction of word, then he speaks to you through circumstances. He has things transpire in your life. He has life conspire against you to teach you certain things that he tried to give you just through word, but we were negligent concerning. Can you read that one more time, brother? Three. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. So look at this, brothers and sisters. He is the true source of fruitfulness, right? The vine is the source and substance of life for the branches, right? 
The key part that we're seeing here is that he's telling you, listen, I have to cut you back in order for you to become more fruitful. Good fruit, that is. You have to be cut back. Continue, brother. Verse 5. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, we must be rooted in him if we're going to bear good fruit. Christ is breaking that, he's breaking that down. He's telling us that away from the vine, the branches will lose the supply of life. Away from the vine, brothers and sisters, the branch bears the fruit, which the vine produces. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? So what is he telling you? He's showing you about consistency, brothers and sisters, right? That's the key. He's saying there's some things you only get by hanging around, <laughs> okay? So all the, you know, being whimsical, being over here, being over there, right? He said, no, some things you only get by consistency, by faithfulness, right? By being faithful to me. So what is he saying? Stability. That's the key word, brothers and sisters, stability. He's saying, listen, if you're not stable in me, you're not going to be fruitful. See, this is the key. Let us read. Let's show you stability again, brothers and sisters. Read verse 4 and 5, please, Brother Corey. John 15 and 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. See, that's stability, brothers and sisters. See, he's saying stabilize yourself in me. Because the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. Except it do what? Abide in the vine. It stay in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Look at that, brothers and sisters. He's saying a branch can't bear fruit without the vine, brothers and sisters, right? You see, without the root, brothers and sisters. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. So he's breaking it down. He's saying stability. You can only get certain things from me if you're stable. Let us show you. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus. Because that's a principle in itself, brothers and sisters. That's a principle there. Take a look at this. Ecclesiasticus 36 and 26. We're here in the Apographer. We're talking about stability, right? Ecclesiasticus 36 and 26. Who will trust a thief well appointed that skips from city to city? So who will believe a man that hath no house, and lodgeth wheresoever the night takes him? Look at that, brothers and sisters. Do you see the principle there of stability? According to the author, there's a link between stability and trust. Can you read that again, brother? 26. Who will trust a thief well appointed that skips from city to city? No stability. He's saying, who trusts a thief that skips city to city, right? So who will believe a man that hath no house? Look at that. Who believes a man that doesn't have a house? There's no stability. So trust, brothers and sisters, is a byproduct of what? Stability. Until you're stable, people don't trust you. The Bible is telling you this. Okay? If you don't have a place to stay, how much can I actually trust you? Now, somebody may say, well, hold on. Hold on. You're judging. Listen, the, this is a book of reality. Okay, it may not be right or whatever the case is, brothers and sisters, but it's reality. You see this, brothers and sisters? He's telling you who would trust a man who don't even have a house. 
See, you don't even know where to go find the brother. Let's read that one more time. Verse 26. Who will trust that thief well appointed that skips from city to city? So who will believe a man that has no house and lodges wheresoever the night takes him? See, so the text teaches us that you cannot produce trust unless you have stability, unless you're stable. Brothers and sisters, until you make sure you're stable, God can't make sure you're fruitful. And that's the principle that we learn there. Stability. Fruitfulness is linked to stability. Brothers and sisters, trust is linked to stability. I tell men this. Men must be stable, which means consistent. Your wife, your children can't trust you because you're not consistent. They don't know what they're going to get from you. One day it's here. One day you're there. One day you're feeling good. One day you, you want to be a father. One day you want to be a husband. One day you want to be single. So your family who needs your leadership, they need consistency. Okay? I tell brothers this all the time. If you're not consistent, a woman can't allow you to lead. It would be negligent of her to allow a man to lead who's not consistent, who she doesn't know what she's going to get from day to day. Consistency builds trust. Stability builds trust. The same principle is in Christ. He said, abide in me, be stable in me, stabilize yourself in me, and bring forth the fruit, right? Let's go to John 15. Let's go back there now, now that we, we dealt with that principle. John 15 and 1. Take a look at this. John 15 verse 1 I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman every branch in me that beareth not fruit he takes away brothers and sisters closely examine the agricultural metaphors can you read that one more time brother verse 2 every branch in me that beareth not fruit he takes away see the agricultural metaphors brothers and sisters agriculture comes from two contributors what are they Agra and cult. Agra means ground. And cult, ground and, and cult, brothers and sisters, means what? Cultivation. Which means it, it's unorthodox, right? It's not ordinary. It didn't grow there naturally. It had to be planted. That's what cult means. Or cult, uh, cultivate, brothers and sisters, right? So you can go on the side of the road and there'll be just weeds growing on its own. That's that's That wasn't cultivated, okay? That's not agriculture. Agriculture is I had to plant this in the ground. See, that means it's unorthodox. Just like a cult. A cult means what? It's unorthodox, right? That it's foreign, that it's not common. So that's where you get agriculture from, brothers and sisters. Can you read those two scriptures again, brother? John 15 and 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that beareth fruit, every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So in his own words, Christ describes himself as the vine and us as the branches, brothers and sisters. It's clear that the Bible says the Most High does what? The Most High prunes unproductive things from the lives of his children to make them more fruitful. See, he said, I have to cut back certain parts of you in order for you to be fruitful. There's some things that you're holding on to that's that that's that's keeping you from multiplying. Right. Let's deal with that because there's a principle there. Also, let's go to Leviticus 19. 
We'll read verse 23 through 25. Leviticus 19 and 23. And when ye shall come into the land, and shall have planted all manner of trees for food, then ye shall count the fruit thereof as uncircumcised. Three years shall it be as uncircumcised unto you. It shall not be eaten of. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? The figurative language of this text labels young fruit trees with a striking male metaphor. How do we know? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 23. And when ye shall come into the land. Now, brothers and sisters, closely examine the, the, the strongly gendered characterization that this passage bears. And shall have planted all manner of trees for food. Then ye shall count the fruit thereof as uncircumcised. As what, brother? Uncircumcised. As what, brother? Uncircumcised. Three years shall it be as uncircumcised unto you. It shall not be eaten of. You see this, brothers and sisters? The complex imagery of these passages articulates an additional meaning apart from the context of the law it describes. The law is telling you, listen, when you come into the land, for the first, you know, when you plant a tree, for the first three years, you are unable to eat of it. Okay? It's uncircumcised. See that? For the first three years, you may not partake of the fruit. Okay? It must be circumcised. It means what? It must fall off. It must be taken off. Right? Can you read the next scripture, brother? Verse 24. But in the fourth year, all the fruit thereof shall be holy to praise the Lord withal. Now he's saying the fourth year, right? That, that fruit goes directly to the Most High. So the first three years of the fruit tree's yield must not be eaten by anyone. What did 24 say, brother? But in the fourth year, all the fruit thereof shall be holy to praise the Lord withal. It shall be holy to praise the Most High. Verse 25. And in the fifth year shall ye eat of the fruit thereof, that it may yield unto you the increase thereof. I am the Lord your God. You see that, brothers and sisters? The first three years, no one eats of it. The fourth year is all dedicated to the Most High as a tithe, to his priest, right? And then the fifth year, what does the fifth year say, brother? Verse 25. And in the fifth year shall ye eat of the fruit thereof, that it may yield unto you the increase thereof. I am the Lord your God. So the text implies that circumcision is a sort of pruning that the tree might bear legitimate fruit in a well-cultivated manner. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? The pruning process, according to the 25th verse in the 19th chapter of Leviticus, the pruning process or the act of circumcision is here done what? It's here associated with fertility or fruitfulness. Look at that one more time. Uh, read verse 25, please, brother. Verse 25. Look at this closely. Look at the link between pruning and fruit and, uh, and fertility. And in the fifth year shall ye eat of the fruit thereof, that it may yield unto you the increase thereof. That it may what, brother? That it may yield unto you the increase thereof. The, the promise of an increased yield as a result of the circumcision parallels what? It parallels Genesis 17 and the promise of progeny subsequent to the circumcision, brothers and sisters. We're going to read 23 through 25 again because he's telling you the first three years circumcise that fruit, have no fruit, right? 
eat no fruit. The 24th year, you sacrifice to the Most High. And then the 25th year, the increase comes. So once you circumcise the fruit, the increase comes. See that? So he's telling you there's fruitfulness. You must be cut back in order to be fruitful. You must be cut back. Let us show you that that parallels Genesis, the 17th chapter. Pruning or circumcision leads to fruitfulness. Let's go to Genesis, the 17th chapter, brothers and sisters. To show you there's a principle here, brothers and sisters. There's a principle here. We're going to go to Genesis 17. We're going to read 1 through 6, brothers and sisters. 1 through 6. Genesis 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now, this his name's not even Abraham yet. This shows you how far back we are. His name is still Abram. Brothers and sisters, don't don't let don't let that escape you. Verse 2. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. Uh oh, here we go. There's a covenant being made between who? Verse 3. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. Who is the covenant with? With thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Thou shalt be a father of what? Of many nations. Of little nations. Many nations. Of few nations. Many nations. Okay. Many nations. Verse 5. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Now look at this. It's already talking about what? Fertility. <laughs> it's already talking about being fruitful. You're going to be the father of many nations, right? Fruitfulness, right? Take a look. Verse 6. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful. What did he say? And I will make thee exceeding fruitful. See? And I will make nations of thee. And kings shall come out of thee. Now, brothers and sisters, we're already seeing that he's promising Abraham that he would be fruitful, right? What is he going to tell Abraham to do? He's just made a covenant. What's the covenant? Verse 10 through 14. Genesis 17 and 10. This is my covenant. What is it? Which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Shall be circumcised. At this point, brothers and sisters, the Most High God has fulfilled his promise of fertility. And therefore, Adam had, excuse me, Abraham had to what? Circumcise his son in exchange for this. Can you read that again? Verse 10. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Now, remember, he had no children. <laughs> okay, brothers and sisters. He's telling you that what? Every man child that comes from this promise, this covenant, must be circumcised. So, there it is. We're seeing the link between fruitful and circumcision. Uh, again, can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and thy seed after thee, every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, 
and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money out of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. Brothers and sisters, Abraham's covenantal descendants, beginning with Isaac, are to be circumcised when? On the eighth day. So once again, we see that this his circumcision is associated with the promise of fertility. You see, brothers and sisters, can you read that again, brother? Verse 12. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. Must what, brother? Must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Brothers and sisters, this text highlights the connection between circumcision and the fulfilled promise for descendants. Do you see that? Take a look at 14. Verse 14. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised that soul shall be cut off from his people. That soul shall be cut off from his people. He, he had broken my covenant. So this cutting off of the flesh should remind us of the previous cutting off of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, when all flesh was cut off at the flood. See, so right here in Genesis 17, there was, a, there was another link there between circumcision and being a father of many nations. See, first he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great man. Your progeny will be as the sand of the sea. But, but Abraham, you have to circumcise yourself. See, so he was giving him what? He was giving him instruction to do. Circumcise yourself, right? And then you'll become fruitful. Not the other way around. Abraham had to circumcise himself. <laughs> you see this, brothers and sisters? Now, you link that with what Leviticus, the 19th chapter that said, listen, when you plant a tree, it's uncircumcised for the first three years. You cannot partake of it in the fifth year until the fifth year. And when the fifth year comes, the increase, the increase shall be. It shall be. Brothers and sisters, if you take a look at it, he's telling you. That it shall be extensive, brothers and sisters. The fruitfulness, the progeny, the fertility, it will be amazing, brothers and sisters. These were principles that he was teaching us. Circumcision and fruitfulness. Same thing he said in where? John 15. He said, listen, I have to cut you back in order for you to continue to be more fruitful. To, be, to have greater fruit, I must cut you back. Let's take a look. Let's go to Genesis 9 and 8. Why? Read verse 14 one more time, brother. Genesis 17 and 14. And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that, show, that soul shall be cut off from his people. That soul not circumcised shall be cut off. Because he hath broken my covenant. Now take a look at this, brothers and sisters. The cutting off of the flesh does what? It invites us to go back to the previous cutting off of the flesh in Genesis the ninth chapter. So we're going from Genesis 17 to Genesis 9. 
We're going to have Brother Corey read 8 through 12. Genesis 9 verse 8. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Read that again, brother. Verse 11. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Now, brothers and sisters, it's important that we recognize the connection between these two events. Circumcision is an act that occurs in preparation for the coming of God in judgment. This is what we're seeing here. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 11. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. So, brothers and sisters, here we see the cutting off of flesh is connected with what? God's judgment. Right? So the timing of the institution of circumcision is significant in this regard. When was circumcision instituted? Genesis, the 17th chapter. We're already showing that in Genesis, the 9th chapter, circumcision or cutting off of the flesh is linked to what? God's judgment. Let us show you. Let us show you that Genesis 17, the institution of circumcision, was strategic. What happened in Genesis 18? Let's go. Let's go to Genesis 18. Remember, it, circumcision was instituted in Genesis 17. What happens in the following chapter? Let's read 1 through 3. Genesis 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, brothers and sisters, remember, again, circumcision is first introduced in the narrative context of Genesis 17, right? Verse 2. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, What did he say? My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. So look at this again, brothers and sisters. Can you read verse 2, brother? Because here we see an angel of the Most High accompanied by two witnesses. And these witnesses will later, these two witnesses would later enter into Sodom. Okay, read verse 2 one more time, brother, please. Verse 2. And he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. How many? Three men stood by him. See? And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Genesis 18 is what? What's going on in Genesis 18? Let us show you. Let's jump to verse 6 and then jump to verse 20. Genesis 18 and 6. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal 
knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. So here it was. After seeing the angel of the Most High uh, with two witnesses, he ran into the house, tells his wife, hurry, quickly, make something. We have company, right? Jump to verse 20, brother. Genesis 18, verse 20. Listen closely, brothers and sisters. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. Now, remember Genesis 17, he tells Abraham to circumcise himself. Genesis 18 is what? Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 21. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, with the arrival of the angel of the Most High, the entire land becomes holy, right? And holy ground is a deadly place for the unclean to be. So here it was. You had angel, the angel of the Most High going to where? To Sodom. Can you read 22 again, brother? Verse 22. And the men turned their faces from thence. And went towards Sodom. Where did they go towards? Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now look at this. Now this tells you that he still stood yet before the Lord. So the two angels went towards Sodom. The last one was the angel of the Most High God. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? Do you see? So we just wanted to show you that circumcision is introduced in a part as protection from Sodom's judgment. A mark to set apart the righteous and preserve them from the coming wrath. God knew in the next chapter, I'm getting ready to kill somebody. Okay? So Abraham, I need you to circumcise yourself. Okay? And all the males of, you know, of your household. There needs to be a sign. So brothers and sisters, a number of other stories of circumcision exhibit the same pattern. See? Circumcision was a sign. What? In order to be fruitful. It's no coincidence that in Genesis, the 17th chapter, he instituted what? Circumcision. Genesis 18, what happens? The angel comes before Abraham. <laughs> See? Circumcision is what, brothers and sisters? Circumcision is linked to God's judgment. I'm going to show you. The cutting off of the flesh is linked to God's judgment. Let us show Let's go to Joshua 5, brother. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. We're going to Joshua, the fifth chapter. We're going to read 1 through 5. Joshua 5, verse 1. What's that say, brother? And it came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, Heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted. What happened? That their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Because of the what, brother? Because of the children of Israel. Look at that, brothers and sisters. When the Canaanite kings heard that the Israelites crossed the Jordan, what was their response again? Verse 1. <clears throat> And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and the kings of the Canaanites, 
which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the children of Israel until they were passed over, that their hearts melted. Their hearts melted, brothers and sisters. And neither was their spirit in them anymore. When we cross the Jordan on dry land, brothers and sisters. See, it wasn't just the Red Sea. <laughs> Jump to verse 2, please. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Look at this. There goes that circumcision again. Right? There goes that circumcision again. He said, Joshua... You need to get you some sharp knives and circumcise the children of Israel, right? Verse 3. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the heel of the foreskin. The heel of the foreskin. So Joshua had the whole nation circumcised at Gilgal as was commanded by the Most High God, brothers and sisters. There goes that circumcision again. Do you see that? We're going to have Brother Corey read. That one more time. Verse 3. 3. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the heel of the foreskins. At the heel of the foreskins. Now, brothers and sisters, according to these passages, Israel had to be circumcised before the conquest of the land can begin. Let us show you that. Jump to verse 13. Actually, uh, read verse 15. Uh, excuse me, five, Salafia. Joshua 5 and 5. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. We missed something. Let me see. Okay, we missed verse 4. Let's start at verse 3 again. Verse 3. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of foreskins. And this is the call why cause why Joshua did circumcise. What was the cause? All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way. All of those who lived while in Egypt died after they came out of Egypt. Look at verse five, brothers and sisters. Now all the people that came out were circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, then they had not circumcised. You see that? So none of these brothers were circumcised. The ones born in the wilderness, the children of, you know, those who came out of Egypt were not circumcised. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Let's jump to verse 13. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. So the first thing he told them to do was what? circumcise every male there. Verse 13. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay. What did he say? Nay. But as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Now remember, a corporate circumcision preceded Joshua's encounter with the angel of the Most High, right? Who came to bring divine vengeance on the land. There it is again. There it is again. 
Right before the Most High's judgment comes, he tells Joshua, circumcise everybody, okay? Because that's a sign. When when my wrath comes and sees the circumcision, we, we know, okay, they're safe. They're good. You see this, brothers and sisters? This is not coincidence. Read. Uh, let's read 13 one more time, brothers and sisters. Joshua 5 and 13. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him. And said unto him, Are thou for us or for our adversary? Are you for us or for our adversary? So Joshua saw an angel with a sword in his hand and said, Listen, are you for us or are you for the enemy? Right? Continue. What did he say, brother? Verse 14. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. He said, Neither. Okay, I'm on the side of the Most High God. <laughs> So a couple of things we see here. We see that our people sometimes have a problem or have trouble identifying God. Okay. God is on his own side. God is on the side of right. Okay. Do you see that? <clears throat> but as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. Now we know this was Christ. Right. And he said unto him. What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou stand is holy. For what? The place whereon thou stand is holy. For what, brother? The place whereon thou stand is holy. You see that the land is a very dangerous place to be when the angel of the Most High arrives. And circumcision is the Most High's mark upon the righteous. You see that? He said this ground is holy. See? So that means if you're on the land unclean or uncircumcised, you're dead. You see this? In early in Joshua, the fifth chapter, one through five, he says, Joshua, before you can go into the land, you need to circumcise all the men. Okay? Jericho was the first land we took over, brothers and sisters. Okay? So anyone who knows the conquest knows that that's that was the first place, right? So this is key. Earlier in the chapter, he says, circumcise all the men. Ten verses down, now what an angel of the Lord with a huge sword is in his hand. See? So the implication of Gilgal reminds us of the need to spiritually cut off the flesh. You see that, brothers and sisters? Before the Most High's judgment came, before... The Most High's angel came. He said, you must be circumcised. So there's a link here, brothers and sisters. There is a link. Further proof. Let's go to Jeremiah 4. There's a link here between judgment and circumcision, brothers and sisters. The Most High's judgment, that is. Jeremiah 4, verse 4. What's that say, brother? Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. The command to circumcise yourselves spoke figuratively 
of the need to separate oneself from sin. How do we know this? Can you read that again, brother? Verse 4. Circumcise yourselves unto the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Take away the what, brother? The foreskins of your heart. Jeremiah was advising the people of Judah to remove the sinful practices that hinder spiritual growth. Ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. So you men of Judah, Benjamin, Judah, and Levi, the Judeans. Lest my fury come forth like fire. Lest what, brother? My fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it. Because of your evil doings. Because of what, brother? Because of your evil doings. The intent of the Most High concerning circumcision was always that the outward symbol should be a sign of an inward reality. He said, circumcise yourself lest their judgment come. Once again. See, the narrative is monolithic throughout the Bible, brothers and sisters. Okay, there's only one interpretation of these texts. As the Bible tells you, the first thing you must know is there's only one interpretation. We're seeing that here he's saying circumcise yourself spiritually or my judgment. He did what? Genesis 17, he instituted circumcision. Genesis 18 was the first judgment, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Subsequent chapters. Then in Joshua 5, he tells Joshua circumcise every male of Israel. Later on, 10 verses down, comes judgment, comes an angel, right? That if you're not circumcised, if, if Joshua doesn't circumcise himself and the men, if he doesn't circumcise the men, brothers and sisters, rather, he's dead. He's dead. See, this is the importance of actually obedience, okay? This is the importance of obedience. Let's read that one more time, brother, please. Jeremiah 4 and 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire. Circumcise the foreskins of your heart and lest my judgment come and burn that none can quench it. Because of the evil of your doing. Because of the evil of your doing. To remove the foreskins of the heart meant to put away all impurity. See? True circumcision is inward rather than outward. See, brothers and sisters, so the physical circumcision of the foreskins of our flesh, our privates, it represented something greater. It represented something greater, brothers and sisters. That was just a sign. It was a foreshadow. Those who have been following our church for some time no we go into what foreshadowing is right or prefigurations are a foreshadow is a shadow of something to come it's not the real thing so the circumcision of a man's you know privates it was what it was just a shadow of what what was to come what was to come can you read four again brother circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart Ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Or what? Lest my fury come forth like fire. Or what? And burn that none can quench it. Why? Because of your evil doing. See? So we're showing you circumcision, judgment are linked. So we first had to show that judgment, excuse me, circumcision led to fruitfulness. Right? 
It also highlights what? Where there's circumcision or lack of circumcision, judgment. Judgment, brothers and sisters. Let us show. Let's go to Exodus 4 and 22. 4 and 22. Because we just want to we want to point out this, this principle that some people may think is a coincidence. I can assure you, we can assure you, brothers and sisters, that <clears throat> circumcision and judgment is a, is, a, is a narrative that you can find all throughout the manuscript, brothers and sisters. Take a look at this. Exodus 4 and 22. What's that say, brother? And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son. Who is he talking to? Moses. Even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Here the Most High instructed his messenger Moses to warn Pharaoh to free Israel or lose his firstborn son. You see that, brothers and sisters? Verse 24. And it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Hold on, what? What happened? And it came to pass by the way in the end. On the way for Moses going to speak to Pharaoh. That the Lord met him and sought to kill him. And looked to do what? And sought to kill him. As Moses embarked on his journey to Egypt. To demand Pharaoh's release of our people from bondage. This transpires. What was it brother? And it came to pass by the way in the end. That the Lord met him and sought to kill him. And sought to kill him. So the text states emphatically. The Most High sought to kill Moses. Verse 25. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone. And cut off the foreskin of her son. And cast it at his feet. And said. Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. Look at that brothers and sisters. There's an angel looking to slay Moses. And his wife does what? Verse 25. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. Moses had neglected to administer the sacred rite of circumcision, the act that symbolized the Most High's covenant with his people. You see this? Moses' sin made him unfit to serve as a spiritual leader. And that had to be rectified before he could carry out his mission. See, before the Most High used you, you have to be in line. So how can Moses go to Pharaoh and demand release when he hadn't even dealt with what the covenant was for his son? So he was going to kill Moses. His wife understood it. See, this is what a wife does. <laughs> this is what a wife's supposed to do. She's supposed to see danger, right, and protect her husband. See? So look at this. Moses is getting ready to be killed. His wife understood what it was. The Holy Spirit told her exactly what it was. That Moses is trying to be a leader unto my people, and he haven't even circumcised his own son. You're going to die, Moses. You're going to die. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let's read 24 and 25 one more time. Exodus 4 and 24. And it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son 
and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. Moses' personal life had to be in order before he could direct the, the spiritual lives of the Hebrew people. You see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? He, his life had to be in order. So leadership, brothers and sisters, in this work is not a game. It's not a game, brothers and sisters. You have to make sure your life is in order. Nobody's going to be perfect. But you need to be at a certain point before the Most High can use you, brothers and sisters. Why? Because you have to be held to a higher standard than other people. He, he sent Moses, you know, to, to carry out his first mission, right? His first mission was to tell Pharaoh to allow our people to go. On the way from Moses going to do that, he get, he, he's almost killed. Why? It tells you that he didn't circumcise his son. Zipporah, his wife, brothers and sisters. Now, people may ask, well, why didn't he circumcise his son? Brothers and sisters, when you go into the book of Jasher, right? It tells you that Zipporah's father, you know, beseeched Moses not to circumcise his grandson. Saying that, listen, my grandson is, you know, is not a Hebrew, even though he is, because he is who his father is, right? So that's why Abraham, excuse me, uh, Moses ended up listening to his wife's father or his father-in-law to not circumcise his son. The Most High said, I will kill you, Moses. I will kill you if you think you're going to lead my people and you haven't even done what's right. So here we see the urgency to practice circumcision is associated with what? With the Lord's imminent advent and judgment. See, you see that brothers and sisters, Genesis 17, the institution, right? Genesis 18, judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. First, he came to, he came to Abraham. The angel came to Abraham and would have killed Abraham if he hadn't been circumcised, right? So that was first. Then what happened? Joshua 5, the Most High gives him strict instructions, Right? What were those instructions? Circumcise every male here, Joshua. Why? Because we're getting ready to go into Jericho. And when we come into Jericho, I'm going to send an angel. And he's going to kill whatever is not circumcised. And then what? Exodus the fourth chapter. Moses. Moses was what? Being deputized. And on his way to carry out his mission, almost was killed. Why? Refused, refused to circumcise his son, yet thought he could lead our people. See? So there's a link, brothers and sisters, between what? Between judgment and circumcision. Let's go to Exodus 12 and 43. Further proof. Further proof, because our people need to understand this. Our people need to understand our own history. Our people need to understand our own customs. Because without understanding the hermeneutical part of it, you'll miss the greatness of the book, brothers and sisters. We're going to read Exodus 12. We're going to read 43 through 50. Exodus 12 and 43. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof, but every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, 
Then shall he eat thereof. You see that, brothers and sisters. Can you read 44 again, brother? Verse 44. But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. The practice of the Passover is associated with the necessity of circumcision. You see this, brothers and sisters. Let's read those two scriptures again. 43. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. See, so the passage adamantly stipulates that all male participants must be circumcised in order to eat, right? You see that? Verse 45. And a foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth out of the flesh abroad out of the house. Neither shall ye break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. Uncircumcised males were not permitted to eat. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? This was preparation for the arrival of what? The angel of the Lord bringing death to all the firstborn males of Egypt. See? Judgment is linked to circumcision. He always gave instruction. Before judgment came, he said, listen, circumcise every male up in there. See, that's the most high. Circumcise, listen. Circumcise, I'm sending judgment. Make sure you're circumcised. Make sure all the people of our house are circumcised. Time and time again, the most high has warned us before the judgment. See, that's love. That's mercy. Time and time again. Let's read that one more time. Verse 48. <clears throat> Exodus 12 and 48. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. See, the blood of circumcision is connected with what? Redemption, brothers and sisters. See, many of our people have just overlooked this principle. Okay? Judgment, brothers and sisters, is linked with what? Judgment is linked with what? Circumcision. You see this? Let's go to Deuteronomy 32 and 7. Because you can't deny this. You can't deny that many what some people would call coincidences, right? No, it's not a coincidence. Deuteronomy 32, verse 7. Remember the days of old. Do what, brother? Remember the days of old. Consider the events of ancient days and former ages. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee. Ask who? Thy father, and he will show thee. Thy elders, and they will tell thee. This also shows the importance of Israel's men being endowed with the knowledge of the literature. Brothers and sisters, he said, ask your fathers, ask the elders, ask the men. See, 
the men are responsible for the dissemination of the knowledge to the nation. So our brothers need to, you know, take this more serious. When I deal with sisters, sisters are on it. I'm telling you, sisters are on it. Even when we were in Christian church, brothers and sisters, it was the sisters paying the most attention with the notes and all that. And it's telling you that it's good for sisters to do that. But men have to be on it over the sisters. Okay, there's no reason that a sister should know more of the Bible than you. Okay, there's no reason because if a sister can't come to you, brother, right, and ask for guidance spiritually, something is wrong. Something you're unfit to lead. If a sister can't come to you and ask you for guidance or direction spiritually, according to the Bible. It's no way that a sister should be knowing more of God and more of the Bible than the, you know, than the flock of the Most High, which is the men. So we as men have to get in this book. Okay? We have to get back in this book. Brothers and sisters, follow us to 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter, the 22nd through the 28th verse. Remember, we just came from Deuteronomy 32 that said what? Consider the events of ancient days and former ages. We plan on doing just that. 1 Samuel 18 and 22. And Saul commanded his servants, saying, Commune with David secretly and say, Behold, the king hath delight in thee, and all his servants love thee. Now therefore be the king's son-in-law. Now remember, brothers and sisters, here at this point Saul is conspiring against David, right? He's trying to flatter David by giving him his daughter, right? So-called, right? Verse 23. And Saul's servants spake those words in the ears of David, and David said, Seemeth it to, to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. So look at this. David was a humble man. He's like, what a, you know, what a, what a great thing to be the, the son of a king, being that I'm a sheep herder, right? Verse 24. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, on this manner spake David. And Saul said. What did he say? Thus shall ye say to David, the king desireth not any dowry. Now, we know what a dowry is, right? That's what the, if you know Hebrew custom, that's what a man had to pay. It was a bride price to the father, right? To marry his daughter. So he would give some jewelry or some land or something to the father before he was allowed to take his daughter's hand in marriage, right? So he said, I, I don't want a bride price. I'm the king. This is what you can do. The king desired not any dowry, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines. A hundred what? Foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So King Saul dares David to bring him a hundred Philistine foreskins in order to marry his daughter. Foreskin is what? What gets taken off in circumcision. You see this? So he wanted David to go circumcise a hundred Philistines, right, to marry his daughter. Continue, brother. Verse 26. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. Wherefore David arose and went, and he and his men, 
and slew the Philistines two hundred men. Two hundred. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full tale to the king, that he might be the king's son-in-law. And, the, and Saul gave Michael his daughter, or Michelle his daughter, to wife. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michelle, Saul's daughter, loved him. See, this foreshadowed the son of David, Christ. Remember, we said that what? Circumcision was linked to God's judgment. You see that? So if he took the foreskin of them, that means they weren't circumcised. <laughs> you see that? He took the foreskin of those who were not circumcised. Judgment. This is a foreshadowing of what Christ will do to all the uncircumcised. See? We're showing you that there's a link between circumcision and judgment. Let's go to Romans 2 and 28. Let's go to Romans, because that was a foreshadowing of the son of David, which is who? Christ. Let's go to Romans 2 and 28, brothers and sisters. Romans 2 and 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. Look at this. Paul redefines what it means to be a true child of God. You see that? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. Now look at this. He's saying it doesn't really matter if you're a Jew in the flesh. Like brother Corey and I. We are Israelites. He's saying it doesn't matter if you're Israelites in the flesh only. Right? Verse 29. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Which is what? One inwardly. See? So he's saying you must also be a Jew inwardly, right? And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. See? So Paul announces that it's the condition of the heart that makes a true child of God. See? Being Abraham's progeny does not guarantee acceptance from the Most High God. Paul is breaking this down. When it comes to the Most High's judgments, nationality matters not. So he's making it clear. Now, I had a Christian use this to say that you can be a spiritual Jew. He read, he read off to me uh, Romans 2 and 29. Can you read that, brother? But he is a Jew, which is one inward. See, he used this to say, see, if you believe in God, you're a Jew. That's not what this is saying. That's not what it's saying. He's saying that just because Brother Corey and I are the sons of slaves is not good enough. He's saying to be a Jew, you must be one inwardly also, which is to be a man or woman of God, to follow his laws. See, that that's what being a Jew means, to praise the Most High God. See? So he's saying you could be have just come right off the slave ships, but if you're not one inwardly, which is a good person inwardly, you're not considered a Jew. You're not considered the progeny of Abraham. See, so being a Jew by the flesh only will be unacceptable. It will not be accepted, brothers and sisters. And that's that's clear. He said, let's read that one more time, the, the circumcision. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. Neither is that circumcision outward, which is in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, 
And circumcision is that of the heart. See, the circumcision he wants is that of the heart. In the spirit and not in the letter. See that in the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Why? Because the letter of the law can't change your heart. Only the spirit of the law can do that, right? Whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now let's deal with that. Let's deal with that circumcision. See, circumcision was the main point of contention in the New Testament. If you've studied the Bible, you know this, right? Because some people were saying that Gentiles would have to be circumcised in order to come into the church. So the main point of contention throughout the whole New Testament was circumcision. See? This was serious business here. Let's go to Jeremiah 9 and 25, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, The Pruning Process. Jeremiah 9 and 25. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are uncircumcised or which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. Look at that. Jeremiah looks to a day when the circumcised in the flesh, but not in the heart will be punished. Take a look at it again. Can you read 25, brother? Verse 25. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Look at that. The surrounding nations. Take a look at the surrounding nations, brothers and sisters, right? Verse 26. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised. For what? All these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Where? In heart. The surrounding nations may be uncircumcised in their flesh, but the house of Israel is uncircumcised in its heart. See? Circumcision of the body, outward, has always been useless without circumcision of the heart, which is inward. See, he said Egypt and, and Edom and all of them, they may be uncircumcised in the flesh, but Israel is uncircumcised in the heart. So, yeah, they've had the foreskin of their privates taken away, but they're evil in their heart. See, so during this time, our people just believed if I circumcise the foreskin of my private, but I do all evil. Hey, I'm in the covenant of God because I circumcise my my flesh. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way, brothers and sisters. Abraham can only father children by Sarah after he has cut himself, after he's removed the flesh, right? You see this, brothers and sisters? So the promise of covenant only came after the circumcision. This is key, brothers and sisters. Let us show you. Because this is talking about the external form of godliness, right? Our people have that. He's telling you, Israel, you're no greater than these other people who haven't circumcised their foreskins. You're uncircumcised in the heart. Remember, Abraham only fathered the children by Sarah after he cut himself. After he removed the flesh is when he had the son, the children. Let us show you. 
Let's go to Mark 8 and 14 because he said Israel is uncircumcised in heart, right? Okay, let's deal with that. Mark 8 and 14 through 18. The external form of godliness that our people have. Mark 8 and 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying... He did what? He charged them, saying... Charged means ordered, brothers and sisters. Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and of the leaven of Herod. Examine the two leavens that the Messiah warned the disciples concerning. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 15. And he ordered them, saying... Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of who? The Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees included what? Their hypocritical behavior. And the leaven of Harad. The leaven of who? Harad. The leaven of Harad, Antipas, brothers and sisters, was what? His immoral, his, his corrupt conduct, right? Verse 16. And they reasoned among themselves, saying... Is it because we have no bread? And when Christ knew it, he said unto them. What did he say, brother? Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Christ's question, Christ's, you know, his question, look at it one more time. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 17. And when Christ knew it, he said unto them. Why reason ye? Why reason ye? Christ's question rebuked the disciples for completely missing his point. They're thinking he's talking about physical bread, physical leaven, right? He rebukes them for their lack of spiritual perception. Why ask you because you have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see not. Having ears, hear not. What did he say? Having eyes, see ye not, and having ears, hear ye not, and do ye not remember? Look at this. He was concerned with spiritual truth, not mundane physical matters, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? Not mundane physical matters. What is he showing us, brothers and sisters? Read verse 18 one more time, please, brother. Verse 18. Having eyes, see ye not, and having ears, hear ye not. Now, this is key, brothers and sisters. This is key. The leaven of Harad, right, is conjoined to and contrasted with the leaven of the Pharisees, okay? So let's deal with that. The leaven of the Pharisees is what? Having the external form of godliness, right? Looking like you're a good person, but not really. Let's go to Mark 6 and 20, because he also talked about the, the leaven of Harad. Let's deal with that. Let's deal with the leaven of Herod. Because we know what the leaven of the Pharisees is. We hear about that all the time. But many of us have not heard of the leaven of Herod, right? Mark 6 and 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and an holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Jump to verse 22, brother. Verse 22. And when the daughter of, of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. Brothers and sisters, listen to this. This is the, this is the leaven of Herod. 
He's telling you. Look at verse 20. He loved to hear John, right? Verse 20. And for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, he observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. He heard him gladly. Just because you like to listen to the word of God does not make you a spiritual man or woman. See that? He liked to hear the word gladly. But look at this. Look at verse 22. Verse 22. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him. A lot dance essentially, brothers and sisters. The king said unto the damsel, What did he say? Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt and I will give it to you. So he would go straight from listening to a prophet of the Most High to watching a woman in improper you know, improperly or immodestly dressed. See? So he loved to hear John. And John's a good man. And then he'll let a sister strip for him right after that. He'll go from listening to John to letting a stripper seduce him, right? So according to the text, it's not about how good you hear. It's about how good you respond to what you hear. You see, brothers and sisters, that is the leaven of Hurrah. To hear the word and not do it is to not really hear it at all. See? Hearing God's word is not the problem for most of us. Applying it to our lives is the problem. So here we see the leaven of Hurrah. Love to hear the word, never apply it. Love to hear it. Love to hear a deep word, right? Never application. That is the leaven of Hurrah. Let us show you. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha, 19 and 22. Let's go there. 19 and 22, brothers and sisters. Let's see. Ecclesiasticus, 19 and 22. What's that say, brother? The knowledge of the the knowledge of wickedness is not wisdom. It's not wisdom. Is not wisdom. Neither at any time the counsel of sinners prudence. Mm, brothers and sisters, according to the author, knowledge is power, but knowledge without action is useless. See? Applying knowledge is what creates the value of the knowledge, brothers and sisters. Take a look at it one more time. Verse 22. The knowledge of wickedness is not wisdom. It's not wisdom. So the conviction of sin does not automatically result in pruning, brothers and sisters. Knowledge is not wisdom. Just to know what's wrong is not wisdom. Knowledge of sin does not force reform. Knowledge does not apply itself as individuals must make the application. Just because you have knowledge doesn't, doesn't mean it, it's just going to apply itself. Okay, yes, I know that this is a screwdriver. Am I going to use the screwdriver? Okay, I know this is a hammer. Am I going to use the hammer? So the knowledge of what's wrong is not wisdom. Because you understand the law say pork is wrong. Christmas is wrong. Okay, well, what do you do? That's not wisdom, though. See? So this was Herod's problem. Herod knew. He loved to hear deep sayings and all that. But he didn't apply any of it. See? Knowledge is power, right? But if it's not applied, it's useless. You see that, brothers and sisters? You can know you're a Jew. You can know who God is. But if you don't apply who God is, if you don't apply who you are, it does not matter. 
Now, let's deal with the leaven of the Pharisees. We first wanted to deal with the leaven of Herod. But Christ gave two leaven. He said leaven of Herod and leaven of the Pharisees. Let us show you the leaven of the Pharisees. Because why? He said circumcise yourself. Circumcise your heart. Of what? These two leavens. The circumcision of these two leavens. Number one is to hear, but deal with no application. Right? Love to hear the word of God. Love to hear the audio Bible. Love to hear the, uh, you know, the commandment keepers church. Yet, as soon as, you know, the audio is off, the broadcast is off, you're dealing with wickedness. See? Let's go to the leaven of the Pharisees. Let's go to Luke 12 and 1. We'll have Brother Corey read the first and second verse. Please follow us, brothers and sisters. Luke 12, verse 1. What's that say, brother? In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trolled one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees. Brothers and sisters, examine who he addressed first. Let's read that one more time. Examine who he spoke to first. Verse 1. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trolled one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all. He began to speak to who? His disciples, first of all. Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees. Look at this. He spoke to his disciples first. Right? Continue. Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. What is it? Hypocrisy. Christ used an everyday item. In this case, it was leaven or yeast to demonstrate a spiritual truth. So who was he talking to? He was talking to actual believers. See, he wasn't talking to Pharisees. He was talking to us. The people who follow me. He said, because why? You can believe in me and still have this leaven. And see, that's the danger. Many of our people become Pharisees. So they do all the external things. They want to tell Christians, well, listen, pork is wrong and Sunday worship is wrong. But they're dealing with lust. They're dealing with anger. They're dealing with all types of iniquity evil person, but then can point to and say, oh, I follow the, I follow the Sabbath. As if that makes you a good person. It does not. The Sabbath doesn't make you a good person. The Pharisees followed the Sabbath, brothers and sisters. See this? Let's read that one more time, brother, please. <clears throat> Luke 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, and so much that they trolled one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. What is it, brother? Is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. Because what? There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. Neither hid that shall not be known. Look at this. He warns them and us. That there will be a day when all posturing and pretending, all bluster and hypocrisy will be exposed. See that, brothers and sisters? That's for everyone, including myself. All this posturing and pretending that people are doing. See, that's the danger of the law. There's a danger that comes with the law. Why? It tranquilizes you. It has the power to tranquilize your conscience, to make you believe you're a good person. 
because you follow the you don't you don't eat pork because you 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 follow the Sabbath because you celebrate the Passover and we use that to say I'm a good person at least I'm doing that while Christians is doing none of that I'll tell you brothers and sisters as it pertains to the iniquity Christians most Christians are better people than Israelites just when as it pertains to the heart now they're not following any of his laws but our people are following the, the external laws while dealing with all types of iniquity. Iniquity in the Bible is what? Invisible sin. That's what Christ said. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Iniquity. So the iniquity is very, very important. Go read Psalms, the 32nd chapter. David t talks about it. See? So he said, listen. Circumcision, circumcise your heart. Two things, the leaven of Herod, the leaven of the Pharisees. And he's speaking to believers. He spoke to his disciples first of all. That means people who believed in Christ. See? Let's go to Mark 7 and 6, brothers and sisters. Let's go there. The title of today's lesson, the pruning process. We're talking about that circumcision here. Mark 7, verse 6. What's that say, brother? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah said or prophesied to you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This people do what? Honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Lip service is saying yes with your mouth, but saying no with your actions. Brothers and sisters, the Most High is looking for demonstration not memorization I say this many times with our people just because you can memorize some scriptures <laughs> doesn't make you deep or a good person brothers and sisters see some people only memorize scripture to regurgitate it rather than to live it I've seen this brothers and sisters I've seen this they think because they can memorize text you know memorize certain passages that they're good people or they can fool other people to believe they're good let's read that one more time verse 6 he answered and said unto them well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites as it is written as it is written this people honoreth me with their lips but their heart is far from me it is possible to have the image of being religious or spiritual, but actually being far from God, the Bible's telling you that clearly. See, the word hypocrite in the ancient Greek language referred to an actor, brothers and sisters, someone who wore a mask. Look at look at the etymology of the word hypocrite, brothers and sisters. It actually was somebody who you know was in the fear. So the image they promote is is more important to them than what they actually are. So in Greece. If you went there and say, well, where are the hypocrites at? They would point you to the theater, to the people acting on broad, you know, on Broadway, on stage. That's what a hypocrite is. That, the etymology of it, brothers and sisters. See? It was actually a person who wore a mask, who was just simply acting. Take a look at that, brothers and sisters. Take a look at that. Our people do this. Our people. I'm talking about Israelites here. Let's go to Romans 2. Follow Brother Corey and I to Romans, the second chapter, the 17th verse. 
Romans 2 and 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew and resteth in the law and maketh thy boast of God. Now look at this. Paul is addressing those who call themselves Jews. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew and resteth in the law. And make it thy boast of God. Now I just wanted to get you the context. He's referring, he's speaking to us, Israel. You call yourself a Jew, you rest in the law, you say, Well, listen, listen, God is my father. I follow the law, right? Jump to verse uh, 21 now. Romans 2 and 21. Thou therefore which teacheth another, teacheth thou not thyself? Mm, you hear that? Look at the, Paul is breaking it down. Read that again, please, brother. Verse 21. Thou therefore which teaches another, teaches not thou thyself? Look at that. Don't you teach yourself, Paul said? These no, passages, slock you, brother. These passages highlight our resistance to doing what? Recognizing our own sin, brothers and sisters. He said, you teach other people. You say you're an Israelite, but do you teach yourself? This is the this is what our people get caught up in. See, and I and I've said this before, brothers and sisters, to brothers, you know, and sisters that frequent my presence. Don't get caught up just studying the Bible, just studying what you can teach out of the Bible. Okay? A lot of preachers and pastors and teachers get caught up that way. Where the only thing they're they study in the Bible is what they can teach someone else. That's a that's a slippery slope, okay? That's a very slippery slope. Because the first application comes where? Let's read that one more time. Verse 21. Thou therefore which teaches another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest that man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that says that man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that maketh thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonor thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Through who? Through you, as it is written. For circumcision verily profited, if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Look at that. He's saying, listen, circumcision matters not, no, not at all if you continue to break the law. So you can have this circumcision, but if you're not following the law, it's made uncircumcision. So here we see hypocrisy is what? Knowing the truth, but not obeying it. Claiming Christ is Lord, but without following him. See? A hypocrite practices the opposite of what he preaches, and his outward appearance does not match his inward condition. This is something that our people... Excuse me. This is something that our people struggled with, brothers and sisters. Wanted to look deep, wanted to look spiritual to other people, right? While dealing with all types of iniquity, all types of sin in our heart. He said, these are the things you must circumcise yourself from. The leaven of Herod, which is hearing it without application. The leaven of the Pharisees, which is being an actor. Looking to teach everybody all the time. You know, this is what the law say, and this, and that, and this. But when you're by yourself, you're watching porn. You're watching pornograph. Porn. You're watching stuff you ought not to be watching. 
right? You're listening to stuff you ought not to be listening to, okay? So Paul was calling it out. Do you do you teach yourself? <laughs> it's Paul, right? Let's go to Luke, brother, brothers and sisters. Luke 13. Let's go to Luke, the 13th chapter, the first through the third verse. Let's take a look because we're dealing with what? We're dealing with the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, right? Luke 13, verse 1. There were present at the season some that, ho that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Look at this. There was a sacrifice where Pilate had mingled the Galileans' blood with the sacrifice. Right? Verse 2. And Christ answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. Do you believe that because these Galileans suffered these particular atrocities that they were greater sinners than the rest? Verse 3. I tell you, nay. I tell you what? Nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Look at this, brothers and sisters. In other words, take these examples of sudden violence. Death as a warning. You see that? If death is based on people being sinners, then you yourselves ought to take heed. This is what Christ was saying. See? Don't judge a man because he sins differently from you. Because this is what we do. <laughs> if a person struggled with something I struggled with, or so struggled with something I struggled with, past tense, then I'm more understanding. But if a brother or sister struggled with something you had no, no trouble with at all, right? <laughs> then the judgment comes out. That's how it works, brothers and sisters. That's how it works. See? So we judge a person because they sin differently. Brothers and sisters, we all sinners. We all sinners. Okay? And here it was. You had some brothers say, you know, come to Christ and say, well, hey, remember those Galileans? Pilate actually mixed their blood with a sacrifice. Were they the greatest sinners of all Galileans? Christ said, what? Verse 3? Verse 3. I tell you, nay, but except you repent. Except you repent. Ye shall all likewise perish. That's crystal clear. See, let's go to Acts 7 and 51. Let's go to Acts, brothers and sisters. Follow us here. Acts, the seventh chapter, the 51st verse. Acts 7, verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. The Bible continues to emphasize our defiant behavior, brothers and sisters. The author beseeches us, beseeches us to not fight against the conviction of the Spirit, as who did? As your fathers did, so do ye. Look at that. <laughs> A stiff-necked person is what, brothers and sisters? Is unyielding. Now look at what he, he highlighted. Look at the first part. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 51, ye stiff-necked. Stiff-necked, and what does he compare it with? And uncircumcised in heart and ears. Uncircumcised heart is one that is impervious to the Most High's attempt to affect it, right? You see that, brothers and sisters? An uncircumcised heart is what hinders a person from yielding to the Most High God. 
And then what what did he say after that? Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Now look at that. First he, he calls out stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart. And then what was the other thing uncircumcised in? In ears. In ears. Uncircumcised ears means we only hear what we want to hear. See? And then what does he say? Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Ye do what, brother? Always resist the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. So he's telling you the Holy Spirit is trying to instruct us. We refuse to comply unless we agree. Verse verse 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Look at this. Our people, disobedient children of disobedient parents. He's telling you that he sent the prophets to our people to tell them do right. And our people would persecute the people who are pointing out evil. You see this? This is what our people do. If you point out our people's evil, they'll come against you. We can point out the white man's wrongs and the Asian man, the Chinese man, and all these other men. But if we point out what we're doing, if we point out what our own people is doing, is you a snitch, right? Right? What is it? What is it? Stop, stop snitching, right? Snitches get stitches, right? And we're supposed to be God's people. Well, listen, don't do anything that you, you know, you wouldn't want revealed. See? So when that campaign came out, the stop snitching or, you know, the stop snitching campaign, the Jewish people were just laughing. Like, these are God's people. (laughs) See? And Satan was taking this to before the Most High. This is your people right here. The people of law who are saying, don't tell when somebody's doing wrong. You see this? Now, you don't have to tell somebody else, but tell the person himself. Like, listen, brother, you're way out of line right here. This is against God. Okay, you got to move off this corner, brother. We're not going to allow you to sell dope here no more. Sister, you got to put some clothes on. You got to put some clothes on, okay? We got men around. See? That's what he's talking about, brothers and sisters. Our people can't, we can't even do that now. If you do that, then you're, you know, you're a player hater. You're a player hater. You, you're just a hater. <laughs> See? Let's go to John 16 and 7. The gospel, brothers and sisters. John, the 16th chapter, the 7th and the 8th verse. <clears throat> John. 16 verse 7 Nevertheless I tell you the truth it is expedient for you that I go away for if I go not away the comforter will not come unto you but if I depart I will send her unto you and when she is come she will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment now brothers and sisters this is the only place the only book where the Holy Spirit is referred to as a heat those of you who study on a scholarly level, go to John 16 in the Strong's Concordance, and you'll see that that word he actually says it. But they, you know, you had some devil worshippers trying to do what? Trying to change the actual ideology of the Bible, the narrative of the Bible. All throughout the manuscript, wisdom is a she. It's a feminine spirit. But for some reason, the people in translating this text purposely put this as he when it doesn't say he at all. It actually says it. 
So it, so it doesn't even say she, brothers and sisters. It says it. Now, we know that in the other scriptures, it's a she. Because why? Christ said wisdom is known of her children. See? Wisdom in, in, in uh, Proverbs, feminine. Wisdom in the wisdom of Solomon, feminine. See? So why even put this here? We just wanted to show you. Read verse 8 one more time, please, brother. Verse 8. <clears throat> and when she is come, she will reprove the world of sin. What will she do? Reprove the world of sin. The first work of the Holy Spirit is the conviction of sin. And of righteousness. And of judgment. So if we're temples of the Holy Spirit, His presence is in us. In what? The Holy Spirit will convict us and others of sin. See? So if our spirit is within us, brothers and sisters, she will convict you of sin. She will say, son, that's a miscalculation. Daughter, that's wrong. See? This scripture is an indication that we know what's appropriate. We know what's appropriate. Because if you have the Holy Spirit, she's telling you when you're wrong. Let's read those two scriptures one more time. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. He said it's, it's good that I go away. Because why? There's somebody more important. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. Brothers and sisters, when was a, a comforter is a feminine spirit, like your mother. A father's not a comforter, okay? <laughs> the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send her unto you. See? Look at that. If I depart, then I can send the comforter. I can send the Holy Spirit to you. Verse 8. And when she is come, she will reprove the world of sin. She will reprove the world of sin. And of righteousness and of judgment. That's crystal clear. You can't... We did a lesson called The Easily Forgotten, brothers and sisters, and it was strictly about the Holy Spirit. If you know anything about the Holy Spirit, you cannot continue in purpose sin and, and, and stay in possession of her. It cannot happen. It will not happen. The text is telling you the first thing she does is correct sin, point out sin in you and I. The very first thing that happens. Let's go to John 3 and 20 as the precept to this text. John 3 and 20. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light. What did that say, brother? For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. Christ knew that people don't want to face the fact of sin, even if it means what? Their own self-destruction. Simply put, according to the text, we do not want our sins exposed. Let's take a look at that one more time. Verse 20. For everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. He doesn't come to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. It's easier to acknowledge all my sins, right? In theory, rather than to deal with a single one specifically. See, as long as the sin remains nameless, brothers and sisters, we can continue to ignore it. Now, that's a principle that you ought to you ought to internalize. Because even I did this as a Christian father. Forgive me for all my sins. 
You see that that it would just smooth it right on over. Instead of acknowledging, see, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit doesn't just point out that you listen, you're a sinner. No. This right here that you're doing is a sin. The Holy Spirit points to specific sins. Let us show you something. Let's go to Psalms 19 and 12. Let us show you something here, brothers and sisters. Let the Bible show you something here. Psalms 19, verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. From what? From secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Brothers and sisters, if we allow our carnal natures to dominate us, we remain blind to many of our sins. And he understood this. The psalmist understood that. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 12. Verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Those things that I don't even know that I'm doing. <laughs> you see? Verse 13. Keep back thy servant also from the presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let them not have dominion over me. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Sin is a hard master. <laughs> you see that, brothers and sisters? Sin is a hard master. What did that say? Let them not have dominion over me. Its dominion is vast, brothers and sisters, and its reward is death. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Now, there's a key word there, brothers and sisters, that I want to highlight. Can you read that one more time, verse 13? Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. That key word, dominion. Brothers and sisters, sin often secures that kind of domineering mastery over the mind. See? He said, let not sin have dominion over me. So the Bible tells you that sin makes a slave of him who yields to it. See? Look at that, brothers and sisters. It makes a slave of him who yields. Let us show. Let's go to 1 Samuel 3. Stay in the Old Testament here. 1 Samuel, the third chapter, the first through the, let's go through the ninth, excuse me, through the tenth verse. Let's read it straight through, brothers and sisters. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time. Now, brothers and sisters, Samuel was a child at this time, okay? This is 1 Samuel, the third child. He was still a child. Eli was the high priest, right? Verse 2. And it came to pass at that time, when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see. As he got older... And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Where did he run to? To Eli and said. So, brothers and sisters, after years of being raised in the care of Eli the priest, Samuel heard the audible voice 
of God, calling out his name. Let's read that one more time. Verse 4. Verse 4. That the Lord called Samuel, and he, he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou called me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. So not recognizing the voice, Samuel ran to Eli, thinking it was him. Eli said, that was not me. Lay down, son. Verse 6. And the Lord called yet again. And Samuel and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou did call me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. I didn't call you, Samuel. Lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Read that again, brother. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. You can be in the church adhering to the Mosaic law, but not know God intimately. He's in the temple. <laughs> you see this, brothers and sisters? And doesn't it can't even distinguish the voice of God. So you can be in church and not know him intimately, okay? Now, verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. For the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Look at that, brothers and sisters. The third time that Samuel went to Eli, the priest perceived that it was God who had called Samuel, right? Verse 9. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant hear. Brothers and sisters, hear Eli does what he teaches Samuel how to respond to God's voice let's read that again verse 9 therefore Eli said unto Samuel go lie down and it shall be if he shall call thee that thou shalt say say what speak Lord for thy servant hear it so Samuel went and lay down in his place and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times Samuel Samuel then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant hear. Note that the Most High called out three times. All three times Samuel responded, right? Look at verse 10 now. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant hear. Now look at this. Only after he showed his willingness to listen did the Most High reveal his will. See? Are you seeing this, brothers and sisters? Do you see this? <laughs> see, this narrative elicits questions about hearing the Most High and responding to his voice. So he calls Samuel three times. Samuel doesn't even know what he's hearing. He responds, but he responds to the wrong person. See? He was showing his willingness now, once the Most High knows he's willing to listen, then he gives him the instruction. See? jump. Go back to verse 4 and 5, please, brothers and sisters. Verse 4. That the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. How did Samuel respond to each time that the Most High God spoke to him? He ran in obedience to the person whose voice he thought he heard. Take a look. 
that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli, and said, Here am I, for thou calls me. Look at this. Samuel responded with a readiness to submit to the Most High. Brothers and sisters, we must position ourselves to hear God. See, as a result of this positioning, Samuel became a man who knew how to hear God. See, he was ready to respond. He was ready, brothers and sisters. Some of us either can't distinguish the voice or don't want to. Let's go to Jeremiah 6 and 10. We're almost done here, brothers and sisters. Jeremiah, the 6th chapter, the 10th verse. Jeremiah 6, verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Brothers and sisters, this is an indictment of God's people through the prophet Jeremiah. Let's read that one more time. Verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised. Their what? Their ear is uncircumcised. Uncircumcised ear is a figurative expression signifying the rejection of instruction, brothers and sisters. Their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Mm, we have a tendency, we have a proclivity to neglect any directives that are opposite of what we desire. Brothers and sisters, it's never the Lord who's not speaking. It is us who are not hearing. It's clear. He's saying we have an uncircumcised ear. That means we don't want to hear. Okay? We don't want to hear. We only we have selective hearing. We only hear what we want. Let's go to Deuteronomy 10 and 16. Dealing with that ear. Deuteronomy 10 and 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is the God of gods. And Lord of Lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh the reward. The great tragedy of our people is our unwillingness to listen. Can you read 16 one more time, brother? Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Look at that. Be ye no more what? Stiff-necked. The Most High wants to cut away what the enemy will use to destroy us, brothers and sisters. That which made you vulnerable to depression and bitterness. He wants to cut away our vulnerability to be exposed by certain things. You see this, brothers and sisters? Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. See that, brothers and sisters? That's clear. That is clear. Remember, circumcision is always tied to what? Judgment. All throughout the Old Testament. All throughout the manuscript. He would say, circumcise yourself. Why? Because a judgment was soon to follow. A judgment was soon to follow, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Luke 13 and 6 and we're going to end it here. 
Remember, circumcision was linked to what? Fruitfulness, right? We'll go to Luke 13 and 6 through 9 and we'll end it here. Luke 13 verse 6. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vine, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree. These three years I've come seeking fruit. And I find none. Find none. Cut it down. What did he say do? Cut it down. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Look at this closely. He's saying, listen, if you're not going to be fruitful, what shall be done? Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the, the ground? Why even? <laughs> why is it even taking up space? You see this, brothers and sisters? Verse 8. And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if it not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Look at that, brothers and sisters. The first thing we have to deal with is verse 7, where he said it's occupying space. Let's read that one more time. Verse 7. Then said he unto the dresser of his vine, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? See, it's occupying space. And he answering said unto him, Look at this patience, brothers and sisters, mercy. Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and it shall bear fruit. And if it bear fruit, brothers and sisters, then what? Well. Well, then we'll leave it. And if not? If not, brother. Then after that, thou shalt cut it down. Look at that. So he's telling you, listen, I'm telling you how to be fruitful. I'm telling you, listen, you better be you better be circumcised. Okay? Because if I'm able to prune you, you can become fruitful. But if you don't allow me to cut pieces back of you, then then guess what? When my judgment comes, when my judgment comes, then you'll have to receive that. Why? Because I t I gave you the principle. I told you. I told you how this was done. I gave you the agricultural principle. That you get pruned. Why? So you can become more fruitful with good fruit. We showed you how what? Pruning is represented by circumcision. And what? Genesis the 17th chapter, the first institution, the institution of what? Circumcision to Abraham. What happens the following chapter? Judgment. He's, the Most High's presence comes. Angels come. And guess what? Luckily, not luckily, but obedience saved Abraham that he was circumcised at that time. Because why? When the angel or the most high's the most high's presence come upon any land, that's holy land. And holy land is a dangerous place to be when you're not in covenant with God. So the title of today's lesson was the pruning process, brothers and sisters. There is a lot of self-discovery, a lot of self-examination in this particular text. One of the things about our church that is different from, from others is one of our main components of our church is self-examination. 
brothers and sisters. Why? Because we thoroughly believe, Brother Corey and I thoroughly believe that our greatest enemy is in the mirror. Our greatest enemy is not Satan. Our greatest enemy is not the white man. Our greatest enemy is ourselves. No one can beat us, brothers and sisters. They know that we need to beat ourselves in order for them to continue to stay over top of us. We will not allow it. We will not do this any longer, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, The Pruning Process. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.